0: Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Fortnite in Film, I'm your host Jason,
1: and I'm your co-host George.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Anytime you and I seem to have an episode together, or it seems like every other time we have an episode together, it's like unintentionally themed. Um, it's just through we pick things and we notice coincidences. We're like, oh, we should make a themed episode out of that. So here we are again, another themed episode, which is uh, the year 2000, um, because two of us just happened to pick films that were in that year. So we're like, oh, we'll do it all 2000 Themed episode, yeah, you know, Y2K start of a 21st it's, century.
1: Yeah, I was three three years old, so just a, just a toddler. <laughs> yes, how old was I? I was Six, not... so I wasn't much yeah. older. <laughs> so, we we wouldn't have watched these films, no. um, when they released <laughs> because we would have been traumatized for life,
0: yeah, was, yeah especially with two um, of them,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But, um, no, 2000 was a, I don't know, could, I don't,
1: yeah. well. Yeah. Well, wait, let me see. Let me have a look.
0: I mean, there's probably, I have, a... I have, well, not, not including one of the picks that we're talking about today, I have five films at four stars from 2000. So Billy Elliot, Cast Away, Gladiator, The Patriot, and Snatch. I have all of them at four stars, um, and that's it. And then the rest are either three stars, two stars, a few half stars in there. Um...
1: <laughs> Just looking at the ones I've seen, the ones I like, uh, obviously, American Psycho. Um, in the Mood for Love, which is I think is fantastic. That's one of the one of the greats. Um, Gladiator, of course. Um, Battle Royale. Oh which yes, which yeah, which is yeah. a
0: fantastic book, but I'm yet to see the film. I do own yeah. it, but I need to get around watching it because the uh-huh. book is amazing.
1: Yeah, I want to read the book. Um, Erin Brockovich. Oh uh, is yes. Robert. So I, I, I want to see that. Uh, Pitch Black, which is a, with uh, Vin Diesel, that's a pretty effective sort of um, sci-fi horror. Um, what else? Nine Queens is an Argentine film. That's that's very good. Um, JSA by uh, Park Chan Wook, that's good. So, yeah, it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good year for me actually. There, there's been better, but it's a hefty. You know, it's a pretty good year. Oh, um, X Men as well, which I loved growing up. That's oh, still yes. Kind of Low-key. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I mean, there's some yeah. other childhood classics in there. You know, Chicken Run, uh, The Emperor's Free New movie. Groove, yes. Rugrats yeah. in Paris.
1: Oh, uh, Cast Away. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's good. Scary, yeah, scary movie, which is ridiculous, but I kind of have a soft spot for that. <laughs> you would you would despise it.
0: No, I gave yeah. it four stars.
1: Did it Really? Yeah. Scary movie? Oh, oh sorry. Oh, 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 no,
0: sorry. I thought you meant... Yes, I thought you were still talking no. about Castaway because you said a Castaway oh. and then the Scary Movie and I was thinking, Castaway isn't a scary movie. No, no, oh, no. no. yeah, no, yeah. the
1: spoof, the spoof film is yeah. scary Yeah, movie.
0: I probably would hate that, no. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I also yeah. feel like with oh. spoof films, like, I've never watched any of them, not because I don't think I'd like them although that sort of is probably factoring in, but it's also like, I feel like all those spoof films, you have to have a lot of pre-existing knowledge because, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're playing off yeah. a lot of prior films so you have to sort of get what they're referencing.
1: Yeah, with with scary movie, you have to have watched a lot of sort of like slashers, right? Exactly. Of, it's basically taking a piss of Scream, you know. Scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's pretty much just making fun of that and other horrors. So yeah, you do need to know generally what is making fun of. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's a good year. Good year. Um, yeah, and we're going to talk about three of them here. Um, yeah.
0: So so let's kick it off. Uh, with my pick um, which is American Psycho uh, directed by Mary Harron um, who also co-wrote the film Um, I hadn't actually heard that name before Um, she's only done sort of a handful of films and I'd say American Psycho is the most famous, I haven't heard of any of the others Um,
1: neither I hadn't really heard of her name before um I haven't seen any of her other films
0: but i mean i guess you know if you're going to make a film and and it's remembered american psycho is a pretty good one to
1: do it with yeah so. <laughs> actually just looking is this us yeah so actually um there's a series which she did on netflix it's called alias grace um which i actually watched that when it came out i've just realized in 2017 so in theory i have seen something else from her but not another film
0: so it Stars Christian Bale, which of course I'm sure a lot of people know, even if they haven't seen the film, they he's, probably. He's
1: literally me. He's literally
0: <laughs> me. <laughs> they probably know that he is in it. Um, uh, he's the main character. Uh, there's you know various other different characters. Um, Josh Lucas, Justin Tarrou, Chloe Sevigny. obviously you say that name? Um, Reese Witherspoon, Jared, Jared Leto, Willem Defoe, etc. Um, but certainly the main character and the sort of sole focus of the film as such is uh, the character of Patrick Bateman. Um, and it's based off a book. Uh, it's based off the novel uh, from 1991 by Bret Easton Ellis. Um, so I've read the book. I know you haven't. Um, I read it years ago. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I gave it five stars. Um, I haven't read it again since. That's not because of any reason I just I'm not I'm not the type to really reread books like you know I I hang on to them but I'm like I have so many books to get through (laughs) I'm like I don't have the time to like oh let me reread this I'm like I have 400 other books to read like (laughs) so I haven't read it since but um, certainly I remember loving it at the time which is funny because it's not you know if I think about the sort of books I love it's very much like classic literature you know and American Psycho, the novel, is a very like postmodern book, and it's really not up like I, I you know, but it's a satire. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a satirical.
0: So it's, it's, I find it amusing that I, I love it so much, and I responded to it so well upon reading it because it, it would appear from the outside looking in like it would be I would hate it, um, but yeah. something about it just grabbed me.
1: It's actually interesting because at the time it was really criticised for its sort of graphic violence and sort of the nature of it and I think the writer I read that the writer was really shocked at someone wanting to actually make it into a film he was like can we really like you want to make my book into a film <laughs> um, and they had to sort of rework a lot of it I think they had to sort of rework it for the script and sort of change and that's bit. actually a point um, I'll,
0: yeah. I'll raise later so let's uh, hold that forward um, so plot uh, concerns Patrick Bateman um so it's set in the late eighties in New York city uh and Patrick is an investment banker who um at the same time as you know just living this luxurious life um also has these homicidal urges uh which manifest in killing various different people. I'm not really gonna give a plot synopsis because I don't know that the plot is as important as I guess for the themes of a the tone um but it, you know it basically just follows him you know it's it's not actually it's not set at a time if it's like a, a week a month a year whatever but it just follows him as he sort of goes through life lives this very um vapid um you know vain it's like
1: 80s 80s sort of new york
0: it's yeah like, it's like wall street uh, you wall street know life. like co- yeah
1: co- sort of coked up always.
0: Yeah, go. endless drugs. Just, uh, all we care about is, oh, where's yeah. that suit from? Oh, look yeah, at that yeah. business card. Oh, is that so-and-so over there at a restaurant? Oh, let's get reservations at yeah. this place. I'll just yeah, say
1: Dorcia is one of the main characters in the film. The <laughs> <Yeah>, restaurant. <laughs> Love it. Um,
0: yeah. And, you yeah. know, he... I, I guess what, what ends up propelling the story forward is one of the people he kills uh, is... This colleague of his called Paul Allen, who's played by Jared Letter, who's also in another of the films we're discussing today, funnily enough. If we weren't doing a 2000 themed episode, we could have done a Jared Letter themed (laughs) episode. We could
1: have have watched Morbius and talked about (laughs) Morbius. It's Morbin time. It's Morbin time,
0: yeah. Um, And he, you know, so he kills this this Paul Allen. Uh, Isn't it purely because he has a better business card than he does? Isn't that the reason that he...
1: (laughs) He's pretty much just jealous of him. He has a nicer flat, a better business card. He can get reservations for this restaurant. uh, He's just a more successful version of Patrick Bateman, pretty
0: much. And so he kills him, and then, you know, this police detective played by Willem Dafoe comes around and is questioning him throughout the film. and, And he sort of, you know, as the film goes on, he sort of descends more and more into insanity. You know, he kills... More people. Um, you know, he he has this, like, prostitute. I guess she is, Christy. Um, you know, she discovers all his bodies uh, in, well, I don't even know if it's his apartment. I think it's Alan's apartment because he sort of goes and stays there like he's him. And she discovers all his bodies there and he kills her. And then he goes on this other killing spree. You know, he shoots a random woman. He shoots the police. He shoots the people in the building.
1: I felt so sorry for that janitor he shoots because I was like, He's probably got like a family. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a nice family at home, and he just gets murked in the corridor of this building. So
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, and so he calls his lawyer, and he says, oh, "I've killed all these people." Um, and then he goes to, he goes back to Paul Allen's apartment, and it's all clean and it's all empty, and there's no sign of any bodies or anything. And he, he, you know, he starts to lose his grip on the reality. Thinks like, "How is this possible?" I mean, he's probably already lost the script on reality long before this, but I feel like that's to sort of nail in the coffin. If the film ends. You know, he ends up uh, going to a bar. You know, where all these friends of his are, and uh, and I guess, uh, another thing that happens in the film constantly is he gets mistaken for other people. So, so like this, Jack, this this Alan, uh, Paul Alan thinks he's someone called like Marcus Halberstram or something. Um, and, and when he's in his bar at the end, you know, he goes, he sees his lawyer there and he says, oh, you know, I'm I'm the one who called you, you know, like it's me. I Or, or everything I said was true. You know, I murdered all these people. Um, and the lawyer doesn't even, first of all, he doesn't even know who he is. Like he thinks he's somebody else. And then he's like, oh, it's not even possible that you killed Paul Allen because I had dinner with him in London like last week. And yeah, the film basically ends with uh, Patrick Bateman sort of sitting there, wondering if any of what we saw in the film had happened, if anything he'd done in the past, however long this had occurred over, if any of it was real or if it was all imagined. Um, so that's the plot. I gave it four stars. It was sort of it was sort of a tough film to rate for me because I feel like a probably truer representation would be like three and a half stars maybe, but then I'm like, well as someone who's read the book, it was a damn good adaptation of a book. Like, it, I I was watching it and I'm like, this is exactly how I would think the film would be if it was adapted for the screen. So I was like, well, I'll be, you know, I'll bump it up and give it four stars. Um, what did you
1: think? I gave it four stars as well. I mean, I'd seen it before, um, maybe when I was sort of 15, 16, um, but I don't think at the time I appreciated it sort of themes of what it was trying to say i just saw it as this sort of horror kind of slasher film you know what i mean um because it has this sort of slasher sequence in there and it's sort of it's a kind of horror in its tone sometimes it's more dark comedy but i thought it was just i didn't really pay attention to it but yeah um re-watching it um yeah i think it's i think it's great i mean the the sort of themes it tackles um Sort of materialism, the sort of identity and the sort of masking of oneself, um, sort of isolation. The the, the uh, satire is spot on. I think it's great. Patrick Bateman he has a sort of obsession with material possessions and external appearances. Um, you know, there's all the stuff about the business cards, the as you said before, the latest fashion trends, the the flats. It's sort of it's all about the sort of um, hollowness of the corporate culture you know and like the sort of or they're all attempting to be like sort of one another um the sort of moral indifference that everyone shows to these killings like no one actually cares really that these killings are happening because it's all just it's meant to show that these people can sort of get away with it i guess if they if they want to i know it's an exaggeration um, but like there, there's that scene where Patrick Bateman's like dragging the body of Paul Allen out of the and the and the like doorman is just like right there. It's like, okay. But I think it's meant to show that these powerful people, if they want to do things like that, you know, they could probably maybe get away with some of it. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I appreciated all of that. Um I liked the ending because and actually well it's interesting because I've read that the director actually didn't like the ending because she thought it was too ambiguous. Because she said that actually, there's this there's this debate about whether he did kill all the people or not, and if it's all in his head. But she but she said that he did he did kill all those people. Like all of that did happen. It's just made more ambiguous by the ending.
0: From memory, and I probably should look this up. But from memory, that's how the book ends in terms of this, this ambiguous thing, and and you don't know whether he's done it. So, I mean, I feel yeah, like... but that's what she she stated. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I, I guess it's good that it wasn't changed, I guess is what I'm saying, because it, I think it was... That's the whole point of a book, is you get to the end of a book and you're like, did any of this happen? Or was it all in his head?
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. But th- there's a the thing is that, like, the, for example, the lawyer saying, oh, I met Paul Allen, like, last week. There's a... Th- someone said that that's because it plays into this whole people not knowing who anyone else is so the lawyer probably had dinner with someone in london thought it was paul allen but it would but it wasn't and then the lady um then the lady discovering the no yeah when patrick bateman goes to the flat and everything's cleared and the landlady is there she's like oh like yeah and he's thinking why is the why are the bodies here there's a theory that it's sort of um attacking the sort of Middle class a bit more, and the sort of landlords, because the landlady clearly didn't care about the bodies and didn't report Bateman acting suspiciously because she doesn't want anything sort of messing up the sale of the flat there's i saw I saw that theory so that sort of tried to explain the sort of weirdness of that sort of interaction because it is it it is odd how she how the bodies are just gone um, so there's lots of these theories which is interesting. Um, I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts
0: on those are. No, Yeah, I mean, I hadn't actually considered that about... A lawyer. Yeah, about a lawyer, but, oh, like he just called it with somebody else because everybody's getting confused and I hadn't actually thought about it. So yeah, I guess yeah. I, I was... I was, And this is probably good in that you haven't read the book and I have read the book. So guess yeah. where, cause I, I guess where... Because I guess I was watching it the whole time knowing what I knew and knowing that it would get to the end and be like, is it all real? Is it did it yeah. happen? Did not? So I guess i I never considered that viewpoint, but it's interesting that when you think about it, that, yeah. can be. But it's like I guess it, I was coming, out, like, out, of, yeah, yeah, because I was coming I, out it from I, the book where I'm like, I know yeah. you get to the end and it's and it's, yeah, and you get to the end, you're like, yeah. I don't know if any of this happened.
1: Yeah, you see, I, I initially had that thought, but the more I read and the more I think about it, the more I think he did. He did kill those people, even though there are some. Holes, I guess, with the fact you know when, when he drops the chainsaw on the girl, how does he even clear that up or get her the blood? Get there. So there are there are plot holes as to how he could have done all the murders and not got caught, etc. Um, but in my head, I think that you know he did do everything that was shown.
0: Okay, interesting because because I'm of the opposite. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think it was all imagined. It was all oh. his fantasy inside his head. Um,
1: yeah, no I, I I think he's a guy who's obviously very, you know, he's confused about though who he is or who he's meant to be, but he does have these sort of psychopathic tendencies and sort of has been, has been acting on them through the through the film, because um, there was another thing I read which was saying that the um, the sort of violence that's shown on screen. It's basically meant to represent like corporate greed. Um, So like, um, like the the violent the violence parallels the callous corporate violence, Bateman acts on on whim every day on Wall Street, making decisions that cause financial ruin for others just to brag in the boardroom. Um, American Psycho. Yeah, well, he even says. Yeah. Yeah, he even
0: says at one point like, "Oh, I don't feel any emotions except for like greed and." Anger I think, be one of those yeah, or something. Yeah, so or it's jealousy or something. Yeah,
1: so like, I can see the I can see the opinion that it would be all in his head. I just think I mean maybe I'm influenced by the fact that the, the director herself said that like he did do it, but as you said, the book she didn't write the book. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what the author what the author has said. I don't know if he said anything about the ending.
0: Yeah, I've not looked it up because he um... may have done. Um, but I, I feel like it's also probably one of those books where you get to the end, and I guess you interpret it however you want. So, like some people would, like you'd read it and think, "Oh, yes, he did do all these things." Was I read it, and I was like, "Oh, that was all imagined; it was all his head." So it's in, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting uh, conclusion to draw when you can sort of, you know, come to it yourself. Because
1: um, it does it does blur the line a lot between reality and fantasy. Oh yeah, like you can. Like it, it basically tells you to question whether like, because he he is clearly presented as a delusional person.
0: I was going to know. say he's the epitome like, of be, yeah. be unreliable the unreliable well, narrator. Yeah. So. When,
1: when he's on the phone talking to this this lawyer or whoever it is there's like, there's like the helicopters flashing in the distance and the lights come in and he's like getting all hot and bothered and you know, this is clearly a man who could be imagining the situation he's in. So I do see both sides um but yeah I, I i just love the fact that the satire is it's not it's not too it doesn't like hit you over the head but it is like very you know um clear about these sort of hedge these like sort of wall street bros finance bros who live in this sort of very greedy corporate shallow world um and what's funny is that men nowadays have sort of said all oh, patrick bateman like I want to be Patrick Bateman, like his his workout routine in the morning. I want to do all that. I want to. He's literally like the coolest guy, and it's like you missed the point of the film. You're not you're not meant to be like Patrick Bateman because he's a like you're not like. I'm I'm sure there aren't a lot of people who actually think that, but I've seen it on the internet, you know, a lot. No, I mean for me,
0: like it was yeah, it was interesting how I, I, even though I hadn't read the book in. Let's say ten years. I don't know that it would have been that long. Let's say in between, the last, you know, I don't read the book in between seven and or seven and ten years, say. Um, but when I was watching it, it took me like right back to reading the book, and it, and it's, it's it's interesting because it's like to your point of what you were saying before the the author, but it's another actually said himself. But so one of his other books, his first book, actually less than zero. Um, was adapted in 1987 um but he didn't he was disappointed by it and he didn't think anybody would be interested in you know adapting American Psycho because he considered it to be like unfilmable um and and I I I would have said prior to watching this film that like it probably would have been an unfilmable book but I think they did this so well because it's it was like it had the exact same tone as the book you know this like frenetic dialogue about nothing about all oh, business cards and it's funny like where you know like you talk about the satire like we watch it and literally like anybody else anybody normal person will look at those business cards and be like okay they're all the same they're like oh look at that the off-white coloring the 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 lettering the this you know or you know the, the things about oh recognizing people at restaurants oh is that so and so is this this person you know um as you said, the comments made by Patrick over, you know, over the, the things that happen that nobody else sees or hears where he says, you know, there's that, I mean, it's not actually done exactly in the film as it is in the book, but there's that line where, uh, you know, in the book it's something like, you know, um, it, it's that scene in the film where they're at a club and the, and the girl goes, oh, what do you do? And, and in the book he says, oh, I'm, I'm into uh, murders and executions. And the girl goes, what? And he's like, murders and acquisitions, you know. Um, which was sort of in the film, but not. It, it wasn't, like, verbatim in the book, although I did read that the, the script was quite faithful to the book, and, and I could attest that I was like, oh, this is exactly how the yeah. book sounds.
1: It seems like it played up the satire elements a lot more.
0: Yeah, well, it miss the thing like, that whole scene of where he murdered Paul Allen... I was like <laughs> that was it was ridiculous right but it was like you you were glued to the yeah. screen because it was insane like he's there, yeah you know walking around and smiling and he's got you know and he says yeah. oh is that a is that a raincoat and he's yeah. like yes it's a raincoat yeah, yeah. Paul yeah you know it, it's it's ridiculous but you're like you're yeah. glued to the screen because it's so and what, and what I love insane is the,
1: what I love as well is it's clear that you know when he keeps on quoting he keeps on talking about the music he's listening to and he keeps on yeah all like, the time like yeah. <laughs> Whitney Houston this song is so powerful and it has a like yeah it seems like he's like or I think he says it like literally he says it at one point he just wants to fit in with like what he everyone should think so I think there's a line where he literally says I want to fit in I can't remember who he's talking no to. He, yeah
0: he does he, he's talking to his fiance. yeah and 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 she says oh why don't you just quit your job so because I you hate it and he's like because i yeah, want to fit yeah. in
1: like he literally feels like he has to do all of this stuff to be just like a faceless member of this sort of you know corporate company which i which i really liked um um
0: yeah and then my my final two points i think christian Bell was like the perfect person to play this role yes like, actually, it was almost like it was made for him
1: he's I was reading, apparently, Leonardo DiCaprio was attached to this for ages, for like a year, but then the producer, I think it was the producer, or no, the director, no it was the, the director, director, director yeah. she, she said, I'm not filming this without I'm not filming this without Christian Bale. So yeah. eventually it had to go ahead with him, because the producers didn't want him at all, apparently.
0: I could not fathom but, Leonardo DiCaprio as well, at he's all. He's too boyish. He, <laughs> in, in, I know.
1: In, in, in 2000, he was, what, three years after Titanic? So still looking. Yeah, bit. and like so,
0: Romeo and Juliet was didn't that yeah. just come out like. So no, Christian Bale yeah. was perfect.
1: Like, apparently, he like studied sort of Donald Trump, Tom Cruise. Um, he studied all these sort of American figures who were in the style of of the character, and uh, he did the method thing where he you know stayed in method for the whole time, and actors were very confused as to what he was doing. <laughs> um, so yeah, he really threw himself into into the role. Which, which is yeah good. I mean, he
0: was just like i i just felt like and you know, having read the book it was this perfect embodiment of what you would imagine patrick bateman to be like if he was on screen you know even just the way he looked and the way he acted i was like this is exactly what i had in my head when i was reading the book yeah
1: and that um, the whole scene at the start where he's getting ready you know in the shower and stuff that's been parodied like a lot I've seen lots of I think Mar- Margot Robbie did a uh, she did an advert for I oh, was it L'Oreal or something she it was it's basically shot for shot the scene from that film um so there's lots of things as well that have been sort of um, parodied and sort of absorbed into popular culture like the whole the lines about oh um, I have to return some videotapes that's been apparently memed like a lot <laughs> um so, yeah, it's funny how it sort of seeped into... And especially with all these TikTok memes. Like there are were, there were multiple points where I recognised scenes from TikTok or like Instagram. Um, the, the, the scene at the end where he's arguing with a lawyer. And he's like, why isn't it possible? And then Patrick Bateman says... Um, oh, what does he say? Uh, he says, like, why isn't it possible, you stupid bastard? That's, that's, I've seen that so many times as, as like a template... For, like memes <laughs> so it's funny okay yeah good very good film and i'm glad i revisited it yeah. yes
0: and i'm glad i watched it because i wanted to see it forever it's probably very much uh, high up there in the watch list yeah. in terms of uh priority yeah. so i did glad to finally have a reason to get yeah. around to it
1: i did want to mention as well though the uh, technical elements which were good as well like the cinematography the lighting the whole like Set design with the 1980s costuming, um, offices, like the soundtrack. I thought that was all really good stuff as well. Could go deeper into that, but obviously we'll we'll move on. Um, But I, I like, technically, it wasn't just a narrative with the themes. I thought it was well-made, also technical-wise. So I just wanted to mention that. So, moving on. (laughs) Moving on to my film, which we've got... Again, it'll probably be me talking, because you... Uh, didn't didn't like it, is it an understatement No, not a um, fan <laughs> But yeah So this is obviously made in the same year um, Requiem for a Dream Directed by Darren Aronofsky um, Who Has done things such as uh, The Whale recently um, Which you hated as well, I know <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, The Wrestler Which is fantastic yes. If you like that, I think
0: Yep, loved it, five stars um,
1: What's he done? Mother, which I haven't seen. Apparently mm. very odd. Um yeah. yeah, so he's a
0: Black Swan. Yeah, really I love I love that
1: stuff one. as well. But he's quite a divisive director, I think, Yes, in terms yeah. of how he handles his work.
0: Yes, he's in that I feel um, like he's in that weird group of like him, um Ari Aster, um Lars von Dreyer. Yeah um, who else, yeah. you know, that sort of weird yeah. group. They, of they, they
1: they push the boundaries a lot. Essentially, yes. Um, yeah. Sometimes it works. Other times it doesn't. John Waters, um, you know. John Waters, yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so, shall I, I'll go into the. I'll go into the plot. Um. Well, I'll, I'll say the cast first. We have um Ellen Burstyn, um Jared Leto, Jennifer Connelly, um and Marlon Wayans are sort of the the core. Four four people. Um. So so it's got a good cast. Um. So Ellen Burstyn plays uh, Sarah Goldfarb. She's a she's a widow who lives alone in an apartment and basically spends her time watching TV. Um, and she has a son Harry, who played by Jared Leto, who's a heroin addict, along with his girlfriend Marion and his friend Tyrone. That's Jennifer Connolly and Marlon Wayans, and the three are basically dealing heroin to try and achieve their dreams. Of I think Jennifer Connolly wants to open a clothes shop, and you know, there's all these things that they want to do. Yeah. So so Sarah basically gets a call that she's been invited to appear on a game show, which she watches all the time. And in order to do so, she wants to fit into a red dress that she last wore at her son's um, Harry's um, graduation, but she's too fat, essentially. <laughs> so she basically uh, hears of a crash diet in- involving pills, which she, uh, which she goes to the doctor and then she sort of gets on the pills um, and she begins losing weight rapidly but is excited by how much energy she suddenly has due to the pills. Um, Harry then sort of recognises the signs of her drug abuse and implores her to stop, but she basically insists that the chance to appear on television and the sort of admiration from her friends for for seeing how she's lost weight are her sort of remaining reasons to live, pretty much. And as time passes, she becomes frantic, sort of waiting for the invitation and increases her dosage, which causes her to develop. A sort of psychosis, pretty much. A sort of, a sort of very, very bad um, sort of a dependency, I guess, on the pills. Um, meanwhile, sorry, this is quite a long synopsis, but I'll try and go <laughs> along with it. Uh, Tyrone is then the uh, Marlon Wayans. They basically the plot then switches to like Tyrone and um, what's his name, uh, Harry. So Tyrone is then caught in a shootout between some drug traffickers and the mafia and is arrested and Harry has to use the money they've spent they've got from uh, dealing to basically post his bail. Um, But as a result of this whole gang warfare, the supply of heroin becomes restricted and they basically can't find anywhere to buy. So it all goes south. Um, Marion, Harry encourages Marion to engage in sex work with her psychiatrist to get money for drugs. Um, And this request basically strains their relationship a lot. Um, Sarah has has a breakdown in a sort of scene where her fridge attacks her and she's seeing all these sorts of things Um, and then she goes to the casting office to try and confirm when she's going on TV but she's instead admitted to a psychiatric ward um, where she has to undergo electroconvulsive therapy because she fails to respond to any of the other sort of solutions Um, and then Harry and Tyrone try to travel to Miami to get more drugs but his arm is all messed up from the heroin taking so They go to a hospital, end up in jail because the doctor sees he's got this drug drug arm. Um, And then back in New York, uh, Marion basically begins to work for a pimp to get money for drugs. Um, And Sarah's in a sort of catatonic state. Um, Harry's arm is amputated. Uh, Tyrone is in prison. Um, And then sort of it ends with Marion on her sofa lying in a sort of fetal position um um, tyrone in jail in a sort of fetal position harry in hospital with his arm off and um sarah sort of in, in hospital imagining herself on this game show and she imagines herself hugging harry and then the film ends um so yeah that's the story Sorry if I took a bit too long, but I wanted to get some of the details in there. No, it's
0: probably quicker um, than my American Psycho, as yeah. so. Um, so
1: yeah, do you want to? I know you. Yeah, you. I. Okay, <laughs> I. As soon as I finished it, I was like, "This is going to be a half star or a one star from Jason." Yeah, and I so, delivered. Uh, you, you you delivered properly, <laughs> properly on time. Delivered all wrapped up in the bow. Um, so yeah, do you do you want to explain like? first why yes,
0: explain myself yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so I gave it half a star um oh, look you know it's, okay. this is the thing right as you mentioned right I don't so Darren Aronofsky I, this is the fourth film of his I've seen okay I own Black Swan but I haven't seen it yet um he's not like he reminds me of two other directors all right He reminds me of, and I'll tell you why. It's a weird link when I first say it, but there's a point behind it. Um, He reminds me of especially like Roland Emmerich, but also Paul Tom Sanderson to a degree. And I mean that because, so I've seen five films from Roland Emmerich. I hated all of them apart from, well, not hated all of them. I disliked to hated all of them, Um, except for The Patriot, which also came out in 2000, which Mel Gibson, great film. But all these others awful well there was one called there was a war film i think it was called which was it was below average i wouldn't say it was awful but maybe all, all the others are stupid and trash um and like paul thomas anderson i've seen five films from most of which i think are sort of average to awful um but i really liked they be blood i thought it was like a great film so i want to ask you remind me of them in the sense of my reaction to them because as uh, we said when you were when you were opening this uh talking about this film I love The Wrestler. I have five stars. I think it's fantastic. I think it's probably... I'll check if I have it in my top 50 films ever. I have a feeling I do. Uh, no, I don't. Um, but it's certainly my 100 favourite films, and it's certainly a five-star film. I think it's incredible. Um, so, like I love that film. I, I, I've seen The Fountain from him as well, which I thought was all right. It was an interesting concept, but it was a bit, I don't know, too... Ridiculous for me, but it—you it, know—it was. I didn't. It was all right, um, and yeah, as you mentioned, a whale. I didn't like it at all. we discussed on the podcast with Jacob, um, so it's. I don't really know what to expect going in to this because I guess I would had you know my the films I've seen before it sort of spanned the whole gamut of like one star, three star, five stars, um, but this like. Ugh. And like, okay so this is another film where right? it's adapted from a novel it's it's a uh it's by the same name by an author called Hubert toby jr the novel came out in nineteen seventy eight he's also written a book called last exit to Brooklyn, which i feel like i tried to read years ago like when i was like a teenage late teenage or something and i I'd, I'd like i gave up very quickly because of the way it's written like the the uh, the you know the sort of language it's written it's very strange and it doesn't it doesn't drive with me um so you know this this film I'm like and you know and probably the novel too I'm like what is the point of it other than to be like oh look these people are doing drugs and and doesn't their life just disintegrate well yeah that's what happens when you do drugs like that's not exactly a novel concept like oh wow people are getting addicted to drugs and their life falls apart yeah that's what happens when you do drugs most people have known that for like hundreds of years it's not some revelatory thing you know it was just discovered in 1978 or just discovered in 2000 oh drugs it's pretty bad like so i don't. i didn't see the point of it uh beyond that which is a very like it's, it's a child knows that right like
1: <laughs> yes but if everyone if everyone knew that then they wouldn't go on drugs and start drugs so i don't think um everyone knows to the extent because then you don't because then you get a perfect world where no one is on drugs like people don't sometimes understand the extent of addiction can exert on a person
0: yeah, and that's obviously what the film is ta- I know that's what the film is talking about. It's talking about how, especially in the case of the character of um, Sarah, because um, she's obviously becomes You know, she would be what you just said about sort of inadvertent drug addict, right? The other three are like actively shooting heroin, and she gets addicted to drugs by way of oh, the doctors prescribe me these diet pills, which are actually like amphetamines or whatever.
1: It's 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 it shows addiction as sort of like a all-consuming force, you know, that leads individuals down to make increasingly desperate, destructive choices to feed their cravings. Um it shows like loneliness can be a big factor in it, like in Sarah's storyline. Um dreams and illusions, you know, all these characters have dreams and illusions that they're trying to, to get to and their addictions prevent them from making any progress towards that um the de- deterioration of their relationships physical and psychological decay um you know the the whole desperation of the situations it's it's sort of a warning that drugs can lead to all of these to all of these things yeah and-
0: what was what, what was i guess i look at them like oh that's a common that's common sense you know, like <laughs> I, okay, so- I, I I I don't need a one hour, forty minute film to tell me that if you take drugs, the only thing that's gonna come out of it is negative consequences, like I know but that's uh, you. Think,
1: not not you know. everyone <laughs> not everyone growing up or in the certain situations knows that. Because then as I said, you'd have the whole world drug free. If everyone if everyone was just sat there saying drugs are bad, drugs lead to bad consequences, I know that you get no one taking drugs a lot of kids and teenagers young adults whatever don't understand the consequences cuz i did a i did like a research job where i did a lot of time on sort of addiction and drugs and stuff like a lot of young people don't fully understand the extent to how you can get addicted and the ways in which it can affect you um so i think this film sh- like shows how it can escalate to that point of course it's a common theory that drugs are bad but i think there's nothing wrong with a film that highlights how destructive they can be
0: yeah i I don't know i mean that's my (laughs) my
1: thing like that you just have a then then you wouldn't have you wouldn't have any films dealing with you know destructive forces like alcoholism sex addiction Drugs, anything that can lead, because then you just have this world where no one does anything because they understand. That's how the way that the is. world should be. Unfortunately, it doesn't. <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't work. Unfortunately, that's not realistic, and <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Um, but it, show, it shows. It starts with showing the escalation of use. You know, it, how the the pills start off one, then they go up, and eventually she's trapped. Sarah's trapped in this sort of psychological. Dependence almost, there are withdrawal symptoms, the cravings, the constant need for the fix, you know. It shows the loss of control, then the diminishing pleasure. Um, and it also shows society's role in sort of how people could get addicted. So, sort of media and unrealistic expectations that people see, like Sarah looking at the TV, she has this obsession with losing weight, fitting into the red dress. Um, it's like the like lack of economic opportunity peer pressure lack of support systems so you're, you're going to say well <laughs> you know maybe just don't do exactly. maybe just don't do drugs <laughs> but but unfortunately these hopelessness and escapism cultural critique all these things play into people taking and doing drugs so i think it's it's good that a film highlights things like that so people try and fix fix them um So, you know, yeah, it's, you know, it, I think it's, I think, yeah, yes, it's a bit on the shock factor. So it's like, oh, like the, the characters, the characters are in their way one dimensional apart, apart apart from Sarah, who is drawn with quite a lot of depth. So they are quite one, but the point for me isn't to, it's to sort of show the overarching point, how addiction can destroy sort of people. Like, yes, it's kind of the whole butt plug scene is a bit sort of, Shocking for the sake of being shocking. Um, so I understand the arguments with people having about that, but I think a shock does have a purpose to show how low people can go in order to get what she, what they want. Like what's her name? Um, Marion, like she starts off a pretty sort of hopeful character with the dress shop and things, and then goes into sex work just to get money for drugs, which happens all the time. Um, and you know it's it's a sad thing. It's a sad film because it shows the damage of addiction. Um, but you know. Yeah, I mean, like
0: yeah. I I will say I thought Ellen Burstyn, mm-hmm. I thought she was sort of a lone bright spot. I thought her performance. Well,
1: she got she got an Oscar nomination. She was I the
0: she... she was the best character for me, the most interesting character, the one of the most interesting story. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't really impressed by any of the other acting. Like I've seen Jared Leto in a few films. I am yet to see anything he actually. I come away thinking, oh, that was a good performance. Like, well,
1: they weren't. They weren't better than Ellen Burstyn, but I thought they no. did a serviceable, a serviceable. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Job. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't think any of the you others.
0: Didn't. Well, Ellen Burstyn was standout. The rest, no disregard. Um, uh, you know, like the whole the whole technical thing of it. I mean, I can get sort of. Why it was the way it was of this very like manic way it was shot, and like you know, I get that's obviously meant to replicate, you know, I guess being on drugs or being drug addicts. I don't know, I've never done drugs, so I don't know what being on drugs is like, but I imagine it's probably something like this film. Um, so I can get what he was like going for, and like you know, had the whole split screen thing, you know, which was unique.
1: Well, um, I, th- I thought the ending scene was great, you know, that it was sort of like the montage where. They're all—it's like the rapid cutting between all the characters, which sort of leads up to each of their arcs sort of being completed, Um, and it sort of becomes increasingly frenetic, accelerated, and sort of um, meant to show the characters sort of desperation—you know, heightened, heightened chaos of the sort of situation but what's interesting is
0: you know I read a lot of stuff people saying oh my god this film is so disturbing it's so confronting oh I'm like really have you like seen any other films like I didn't I didn't really come away from this at any point thinking oh my that was confronting you know like I mean the, the only scene that I could think of that would be maybe the final bit where like you see the arm getting cut off you know, that was what was like, oh, but that was, that was like a brief second. And then I'm like, but, but you know, I saw these reviews. Oh, that was so disturbing. I'm like, have you actually seen a disturbing film? Like, I can recommend you some actual disturbing ones.
1: <laughs> I think, I think, okay, I think, I think where the point lies, and I, I find, I found it distressing purely for the sake of seeing what these characters have bent down to. It's more people being like sympathetic to the plight of the characters Rather than seeing like gore or horror, it's about seeing. It's the, the, the whole distressing part comes from seeing what the drugs are doing to Sarah when she ends up with her head shaved. You know, having electroshocked. Her. It's it's the empathy of seeing what is happening to the characters as the plot happens and where they all end up in this sort of fetal position. You know, sort of scared and not knowing what's going to happen in their sort of future. So that's where the distressing part comes in. It's nothing to do with the sort of any, you know, gore aspect or horror or oh, that's that's horrible. It's more the feeling of what's happening in the film. Yeah, whereas I guess I
0: don't. You empathise with drug addicts, you know. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I I didn't feel sympathy for any of them because I'm like, we well, all got yourself in that position, so now you're reaping the consequences. That's what happens, kids, when you do drugs.
1: Yeah. Whereas (laughs) for me, I see both sides because again, I studied a lot in my research, role, um, where there are different factors that can lead to drug addiction, and it's not always as clean cut as you think. As just don't your I know your your worldview is seeming very very (laughs) cynical with regards to this, um, but I think that it's not always as clear cut as. Don't do drugs. Of course, yes, you should try not to do drugs. And for the most part, people, if they refuse to stop, can bring it upon themselves. But it's not just, it's not often as clear as that. There are other circumstances. Well, as
0: I know, I say, I see the world in very black and white terms, which I'll admit to, I do. Um, And my biggest thing of any issue in life whatever it is, is personal responsibility, so I'm like, well, you got yourself into that mess, you chose to take drugs, that's what happens, so, but I know that's very antithetical to a lot of people's viewpoints, and, but as I was saying to somebody today, um, I feel like <laughs> 95% of the viewpoints I hold are antithetical to the modern world, there's a, there's actually a film, uh, it's on my Netflix watchlist, um, and I feel like it stars Elijah Wood, um, obviously in a non Lord of the Rings role. Um, called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. That's basically my life. I don't feel at home in this world anymore, you know. My views are very uh very uh,
1: you know and see and see what everyone else Yes, pretty thinks. much. So um Yeah.
0: Yes. I'm sure there are a lot of people who watch yeah. this film and thought, Oh my god, isn't it awful these how these people ended up? Was like I said, I don't have sympathy for drug addicts, so um, I didn't really wasn't really affected by it. So
1: <laughs> that's that's fair. I I have not the totally opposite view. I believe in personal responsibility, but I also believe in being empathetic to people's plights, seeing when they require help or assistance, um, and if something can be done, and not putting it down to all them there might be societal pressures or peer pressures or things which might outside cause them to but that's where our differences lie and that's fine you know so so what was your rating don't don't be a nurse or a doctor or a drug (laughs) advisor or a mental health assistant basically (laughs) because someone will come to you and say i'm addicted to cocaine can you help me get off and you just be like, um, "Sorry, go and go have an overdose." Yeah, not get yeah. fucked. So don't no, <laughs> don't become a don't become a psychiatrist, basically. <laughs> no, there's um, no hope of that.
0: Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, what was your rating? F-
1: four stars.
0: Okay, well um, that's in line with Letterbox. I yeah. think it's sitting at a four point one. Yeah. So.
1: Um, um, yeah, I you know I wouldn't call it one of my favourite. Films or yeah. anything, but I think it's I think it's a good. I, I enjoyed all the technical aspects as well. All the I love the music. Lu- Luxaturner was the main yeah. song. I'm, yeah, no, yeah, used, the music was good. Used effectively. Um, all the editing. Oh, and also there's a scene where um, Marion comes out of uh her sort of sojourn with the psychiatrist, and she's got a there's a camera sort of attached to her face, so it shows a sort of face view, and it shows her sort of stumbling out, her face expression looking all you know scared and worried and then she's sick all over the floor i thought that it was a very effective way of conveying her sort of anxiety of the situation
0: and i think that camera was used throughout because i remember there was a scene like that with tyrone where it was on his face but he was running uh, was away. Probably one... yeah. 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 yeah so i feel like all, all the characters had i feel like that shot at one time yeah. or another yeah um, um,
1: and there's a, I I love the fridge the fridge scene as well when she's being attacked and seeing all the the camera crew essentially like comes into the room in her head and it's done I think it's really clever in the way that Aronofsky like used used that scene to show her mental state you know it is it, invading her brain this these delusions and stuff I thought that was really clever
0: um yeah like technically you know it wasn't a bad film technically I'll give it that
1: yeah but. Um, so yeah, I think there we go. That's yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no I
0: mean, I, I, I'm I, I'm glad I watched it because I had wanted to see it for ages anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd heard you know good things about it. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So you know, I'm still glad I saw it. But um, I sort of you know, I I, I w- when I read the synopsis on Letterboxd I was like, yeah, I feel like this film is. Not gonna be for me. Yeah. So. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, luckily, I had a better time with our final film, uh, which is Jacob's pick. Obviously, again, came out in 2000. Uh, the film is *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*. Um, I feel like all three films unintentionally are very highly acclaimed films that um, we picked because, uh, yeah, *American Psycho* is sitting at a 3.9 average. I want to say. Um, Requiem for a Dream is 4.1. And Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is sitting at a 4.0 on Letterboxd. So we're basically three very highly acclaimed films. Um, So it is uh, Chinese, I want to say. It's a co
1: production between like China, Taiwan, America, and I think a British company, if I'm not mistaken. Otherwise, it's a co. It's like a co-production filmed in China, essentially.
0: Yeah, it says here. Country on Wikipedia says China. Countries it says China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, US.
1: Yeah, that's it. um, And it's from a novel, um, which was part of a pentalogy known as the Crane Iron series, apparently.
0: Yeah, so we, we you know we've got a lot of yeah. you know syner- synergies in this episode. Yeah. Novel adaptations, two thousand releases. Yeah. Jared Leto starring yeah. in. Two... Yeah, well, I don't think Jared Leto. I couldn't, I couldn't to imagine. Be in this one. <laughs> no, <laughs> he could have been. He could have been, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a um martial arts Oops, film. Oops, yes, Oops, uh, you know more about that than I. What yeah. is wuxia
1: Wuxia is a sort of martial arts. Film slash style, I guess, where it's lots of sort of stunts, high wire stunts. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not explaining it very well. It, okay, it means it means martial heroes. It's a genre of Chinese fiction concerning the adventures of martial artists in ancient China, and it's kind of like fantasy as well. Um, it means compound of Wu, which means like martial or military, and Zia, which means chivalrous or hero. So it's sort of like hero. It's kind of like a suit. It's kind of like superheroes, but for ancient China, in a way, um, if that makes sense. So, but yeah, it's known for this sort of martial arts fighting and lots of high wire stunts and floating about and things like that.
0: So uh, the plot follows. So there's sort of, I guess, four main characters. I'd say. Um, so there's. Uh... Loom. I'm I'm gonna butcher these pronunciations, by the way. So. Shall I say them. <laughs> yeah, you you say them all because you will you're able okay, to say them let properly. Me,
1: let, me, let me try. So we've got Li Li Mubai, who is um played by Chao Yan Fat, who's a sort of warrior hero who's sort of given up his sort of warrior life, I guess. You've got Shu Yu Shu Luen Lien, sorry, who's played by Michelle Yeoh. Um, Jen Yu, played by Zhang Ziyi, and um, I guess the other ones are oh yeah, Low Low Dark Cloud Zhao Ho, played by Chang Chen, and then a sort of another character is called Sir Tai, who's like a governor um, of this sort of. I think he, is he a governor? He's sort of like a you know, you're the guy that purchases the guy. Yeah, well, no, I don't know if he's a governor. He's
0: dark. a he's, he's the, like the he's mentor sort of or something. Lord, yeah.
1: Lord of the, yeah, I don't, yeah. So yeah, those five. Well, are I, I, when
0: I said four, I was actually thinking about Jade Fox. That's, that was oh. the fourth one I was.
1: Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Cheng Cheng Pei Pei is um Jade Fox.
0: Yeah, I can't even remember who Dark Cloud is. Who's that?
1: He's the guy in the flashback, the soldier who wrote, who has a romance with um. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. So I
0: guess he is the main. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Sort of, he
1: does feature quite. He does feature quite heavily in the in the plot.
0: Yeah, towards the end. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I I would say that
1: Li Mu Bai and Yushu Luen. Yeah,
0: um, Jade yeah, Fox. Yeah, they
1: they make okay. They make up the core of the present day present day story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, for the sake of not butchering these names, I'm just going to call them Bai and Lien. and then the others will be Jen and Jade Fox. Because otherwise, I'm just going to completely butcher the names. So Bai, yes, as you mentioned, he's a swordsman. He gives up his life uh you know he decides to you know no longer be a swordsman and him and he wants
1: he uh he wants to watch Netflix instead all day. That's what
0: he wants to do. <laughs> I somehow don't think Netflix was around in the sixteenth century it could have been it could have, have never been could never uh, uh, time traveler. <laughs> um and he sort of has this uh I um, I guess there's this um not quite if that's not the right word like unfulfilled sort of thing between him and Leanne uh, because, like, she was uh, engaged to, like, his friend, and then the friend died, so they never, even know like, they have feelings for each other, they never acted on them out of, I guess, loyalty to him. Anyway, so there's just sort of budding romance between them both. Um, And uh, this whole thing starts because, I'll try and say the name, so Li Mu Bai gives this, uh, you know, famous sword he has to this Surtay, it's like you know, so he gives up his sword, and he's, like, I'm going to give it to him, and he has Yushilian deliver it to him, um, and that's where all the, the trouble starts. Um, so, what happens is, you know, someone comes and steals the sword, um, and it's sort of traced back to this governor. At the same time, there's this, so Li Bai has this, I guess, um, vendetta against this person called the Jade Fox um, because he killed Mubai's teacher. She. Oh yeah, she, sorry, yeah, she, she killed yeah. Mubai's teacher. Um, and, and you know, so he sort of faces off against this Jade Fox. Well, we come to find out that this thief, who stole stolen the sword, is actually this Jen, who's the daughter of this governor. Um, and she, you know, so the Jade Fox is this, uh, I mean, what would you describe her as she, like
1: she what as in in relation to jen
0: no as in like uh, what is she a martial she's, arts fighter like she's a...
1: like she's like this martial arts sort of evil I don't know, yeah like, like fighter
0: villain yeah yeah, fighter. yeah. and yeah. so there's this secret like manual um but she can't read um so where, whereas you know you can you think oh she's a good fighter or whatever well you find out jen is actually has these amazing skills because she has been studying with secret manual the whole time and this Jade Fox could never, you know, she couldn't understand it.
1: And Jade Fox, when she's not in the persona of Jade Fox, is Jen's sort of maid, like travelling. Yes, yeah, like her governess, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and then you come to find out, so this, this Jen is engaged to be married to this random guy um, who she doesn't want to get married to. And... Uh, you know, we're flashed back uh, to uh, the sort of beginning of her romance with this bandit, you know, Dark Cloud. Um, we sort of see how that all unfolded, and he comes back um, to try and sort of win her back.
1: Basically, Jen Jen runs away because she doesn't want to get married.
0: And then, uh, you know, like, so Jen and Julien have a fight, and, and this Mubai tries to sort of, I guess... Uh, you know, if we were to put it in a uh, Star Wars Star Wars terms or something, you know, Jen is is on the dark side, uh, and
1: Li by is like Obi Wan Kenobi. He's like a Chinese Obi Wan Kenobi.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he's like to Jen. You know, oh, I'll train you. You know, you you have these really good skills. You know, I want I want to train you. You know, Jade Fox ends up getting Jen ends up like capturing her, and, like, we're not capturing, rescuing her, and, like, drugging her, um, because she was going to kill Jen, um, because she hadn't told her the secrets of this manual, um, but what ends up happening is, so Mubai ends up killing Jade Fox, but Jade Fox ends up killing Mubai with this, like, poison dart, um, and so he dies, um... And Jen and Lo reunite.
1: It's worth noting as well that Jen had sort of redeemed herself by trying to get the cure for the poison, but she fails. She doesn't get there in time. But
0: and the final scene is, yes, Jen, Lo and Jen are sort of standing there at the top of this mountain or whatever or something. Uh, and there's this legend that, you know, um, this guy you know, jumped off the top of this mountain and his wish came true. Um and so she says to to Lo, you know, also known as Dark Cloud, she says, you know, I'll oh, make a wish and uh Jen leaps off the bridge and full men. So that was probably an awful plot explanation.
1: <laughs> it's it's very you need to watch it for for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it. Um it's best to just watch it because it does get quite um confusing in the in the plot um but that was a, that was a decent you know i think you summed it up you summed it up relatively yeah quite well
0: uh so i gave it three and a half stars um it was a good film i i feel like i'm just not into this genre enough to where i could be like oh well, wow, that was a great film you know I, i'm not really into martial arts stuff um and, you know, it is obviously quite a fantasy-driven film in terms of a lot of the moves. And, uh, you know, I guess it's not your traditional martial arts, uh, you know, like maybe some of the, Not that I've seen films like this. But, like, yeah, Bruce Lee right? for instance, it's more fantasy and people flying across the, you know. Um So, yes, I, I feel like I, I'm not into the genre enough to where I could be like, wow, that was amazing. But I'll give it its credit. It was a good film. Um What did you think?
1: Well, I think I... I I watched this uh, about two years ago, and at the time I gave it five stars. I was sort of in love with it. Wow. However, however, okay. Um, oh. rewatching it, I have knocked off a star, so it's on um, four stars now. Mm. Which, okay. um, yeah, I, I don't re-watch really films often, um, but I find when I do, it can it can obviously either go one way or the other. But it's interesting how you I can either really you know like something more, or you can have a Reaction, where you're like, mm, that wasn't, you know, quite as good the second time around. Um, so I still, I still think it's a great film, but I found it this time, uh, I didn't really connect with it as much as I did two years ago. Um, narrative, narrative-wise, I thought it, um, the middle bit, like the flashback, dragged a lot more, um, and I found the story when there wasn't the action, the fighting, just to be a bit like drab. Whereas when I watched it with the five star, I was like, I'm loving all of this. So I don't know what, you know, why, but like, yeah, it just felt a bit more drawn out. And the pacing was a bit all over the place for me this time. Um, However, the reason it's four stars is obviously I still think the action is some of the best I've ever seen. You know, the, 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 the choreography, every fight. Means something emotionally drives the plot forward. Um, Michelle Yeoh is is amazing. I love Michelle Yeoh, um, and the themes it tackles. You know, the sort of unrequited love that you talked about. The sort of honor bound, being bound to honor and duty, the, the code of conduct that these artists, that the martial artists, sort of follow. Um, yeah, the whole sort of personal freedom versus tradition, just a struggle between the societal roles that sort of Jen is having to, she wants to run away because she doesn't want to marry this guy. So I like that struggle going on, Um, sort of search for identity, um, legacy and inheritance, nature and harmony. There's all these themes that I still really like. It's just, I was a bit less enraptured with the actual story when it was just, you know, you know, you know me. I love a good sort of talky, talky film, and you know, slow, slow cinema sometimes. But when they were talking, I was just like, I don't know the energy. I wasn't feeding the energy this time in the sort of dialogue and the and the di- and the sort of non-action scenes. Um, but yeah, you know, overall, I think it's great. And maybe maybe it's because since two years ago, I've seen four more Wuksar films, which are um, uh, what's it called? Um, a Touch of Zen from the early 70s, um, Dragon Inn from the late 60s, uh, and then two m- uh, modern ones, um, Hero, which is which is good, and um, House of Flying Daggers. And I actually prefer those two to this now. Um, so maybe it's because of the fact that I've seen those, and this one just felt a bit more maybe, like, we- like I don't know, westernized? I guess like it was, it's made it's, it's made to appeal to a Western market. It's a co-production. It's, it was obviously filmed in China, but it seems like it's made primarily for, and I know there were, there were Chinese audiences who were complaining about basically Michelle Yeo doesn't speak fluent Mandarin. She had to learn all all her roles. A lot of the other actors had a weird Mandarin, which didn't make sense to a lot of Chinese people. Um, so I feel like Ang Lee made it maybe for like American and Western audiences, so it didn't feel as authentic as other Wuxia films which I've seen.
0: And and on that point, it was actually the uh, it was actually the first foreign language film to break the hundred million dollar mark in the US, yeah. um, and it was the. F- highest grossing foreign language film produced overseas in American history. So it yeah it was made on a seventeen million budget. It made over just close to uh, yeah, just under two hundred million more than that at the box office. Yeah. Um so it was yeah, yeah. a very it's it was sort of a um uh I guess the surprise foreign film that seemed to capture yeah. the US yeah. market.
1: I think it's great because it opened up interest to Chinese cinema, books, uh, martial arts films, and um, so I, I appreciate it for doing that, and more attention to Ang Lee, I think, which I noticed in my original review I wrote for the five-star thing. Um, but, yeah, maybe like the the um, Dragon Inn and the Touch of Zen, the 60s and 70s ones, they just felt, um, I don't know how to fully explain it, but more sort of, yeah, just authentic to the Wuxa Genre. I, I feel like um, I feel like a Chinese person watching those fi- or over Hong Kong watching those films would feel better about them than Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, but but I still think it's it's amazing. Just and pure purely for the action, um, which I think is incredibly handled. And as I said, I still think the themes that tackles in terms of what I you know mentioned, it does really well with with those. Um, but um. Yeah, I'm just reading about the the filming because they filmed in the Gobi Desert, and um, Ang Lee said I didn't take a break for eight months, not even for half a day. I was miserable. I didn't have the energy to be happy. Near the end, I was endorsed, I was about to have a stroke. <laughs> um, it was funny, but all and then all of the all of the stunts were done practically with wires, like that scene where they're on the trees. They were actually in those trees doing all that stuff. So I I love all that. Um. And yeah, there's something about the accents of the four lead actors. You know, Chow Yun-Fat is from Hong Kong, speaks Cantonese. Michelle Yeoh is Malaysian. (laughs) Um, Chang Chen is from Taiwan. Only Zhang Zhi, so Zen, Jen, spoke with a native Mandarin accent. So Ang Lee found it difficult because he had to do multiple takes um, to have the actors speaking good good Mandarin, which is interesting. Um, But yeah. So yeah. I, you know, even even though I knocked off a star, um, it just means it's not one of my favorite films anymore. But I do still think it's a great film. You know, any other thoughts you wanted to mention?
0: No, I didn't really have much to say about this film apart from, yeah, I mean, a lot of what you said. I think, yeah, like choreography wise with the fights and yeah, and the stunts was obviously my biggest takeaway. Just how good. Over she yeah. was
1: because you have um, you have the opening fight with the between a uh, Lou what's her name Michelle Yeoh's character Mi Bien yeah oh, I don't know um yeah. and Jen you know the the, the, um, yes. the, the fight going over yeah. the rooftops that's incredible you have the uh, tavern fight where Jen kicks all the guys asses that's a lot of fun um obviously the fight between um Michelle Yeoh and Jen with the swords it's just it's just the way they're filmed, it's just so clear and concise that you can see everything. It's not like an action nowadays where you have all these quick cuts and shaky cam and... But it's so clear. You can see everything. Every sort of hit of the sword and every punch. You can see everything. It's really impressive. Um, and as I said, each fight means something emotionally to the story and they push the plot. It's not just random action happening all the time. Like, it, even, even when Jen is chasing... Um, dark cloud across the desert. like that whole scene is leading up to their romance in the cave, you know? Um so yeah, I, I love I love the action. I think I think it's great. Um so yeah. A lot of love, a lot of love for this film.
0: I think that wraps up episode forty nine. Thanks everyone for tuning in. As always if you enjoyed this episode you can give us a rating on podcast or Spotify, and we'll see you next week.